Welcome to PBC Talks. If you would like to find out more information, please visit pbc.org.uk. great isn't it to hear about how God is using different people on their front lines how God is able to take each one of us in the places that he puts us and use us to do his work to fulfill our purpose and our calling that he's put on our lives my name is Tim for those of you who don't know me I've been a part of this church for over 20 years now and uh, at the moment we're doing this series called destiny and we're looking at what it means to live out our calling and our purpose that God's put on our lives. And to help us to do that, we're looking at three Old Testament characters. So we've looked at the story of uh, Nehemiah, and at the moment we're looking at Esther. So Will kicked us off three weeks ago looking at this story of Esther, and Reuben continued a fortnight ago, and I've got the privilege of bringing us into land this morning looking at this interesting story on Esther. And what I want you to see this morning, what I want us to draw out from this story of Esther, is that we see that this story is about the character not mentioned. It's a story about the character called God of Israel. And I want us to think this morning about how God used Esther as a mouthpiece, and how God was in control of that situation, and how God gave his people victory and saved them from death. And we're going to think about how God takes us as we are and he dusts us down and he fills us with his Holy Spirit and he sends us out and he wants to use us to do his work as well. So let's just pray together before we start. Jesus, as we've taken communion this morning, we've reflected on the fact that you came with a purpose, that you came with a plan to come into this world to give your life so that we can be saved, so that we can have relationship with our Heavenly Father again. And as we open this, as we open your word this morning, Lord, as we look at this story of Esther, help us to see what it is that you want to say to us this morning, each one of us here. Lord, I believe that you want to speak this morning through your word. So I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would come and open our hearts and open our minds to what it is that you want to say to us. In Jesus' name, amen. So as a bit of a recap, or for those who are unfamiliar with this story of Esther, I'm just going to recap some of what's happened so far. So the book of Esther takes place after the Jewish nation has gone into exile. And in the book of Esther, we meet some of this Jewish community living in this place called Susa in Persia. And uh, today, that's, you know that, and I know that as Iran. And in chapter 1, we meet the king of Persia throwing this great banquet to show off his greatness. And this isn't any average feast, but this is, in fact, the longest feast mentioned in the Bible. And there's a lot of drinking at this feast, and the king, as he seems to do quite often, gets drunk and he wants to show off his beauty and his, uh, he wants to show off his greatness by showing off the beauty of his queen Vashti. Queen Vashti is off holding her own feast for some of the women, and the king demands that she be brought to his 
palace. Long story short, she refuses and the king deposes her. In other words, she's no longer queen and she's banished from the king's presence. So the king wants to find a new queen. So what does he do? Well, he holds a beauty pageant. And Esther enters this beauty pageant, encouraged by her cousin Mordecai. She hides her Jewish identity and she wins. The beautiful Esther is now queen of Persia. Something else which we need to know from the earlier chapters of Esther, which is important for us, for our story this morning, is that Mordecai, Esther's cousin, overhears two eunuchs planning and plotting to kill the king. So Mordecai tells Esther of this plan, and in turn, Esther tells the king, and he gets credited for it. The king's life is saved, and the two eunuchs are killed. And this story is inscribed in the annals of the king, the year-by-year account to keep a historical record. So part three, so enters the bad man of our story, Haman. Haman is given a high place of honor by the king, and the royal officials bow down to Haman. But Mordecai refuses to bow down. Well, you can imagine how Haman feels about this. He does not like this at all. Haman also finds out that Mordecai is a Jew, the enemy of his people. And so Haman decides to have Mordecai killed, but also the Jewish nation, the Jews living in Susa, killed as well. So Haman persuades King Xerxes to have an issue, uh, to have a decree issued to have all the Jews killed, and even sets up a pole himself to have Mordecai impaled. But now we start to see God working behind the scenes. Now we start to see the God of Israel starting to bring about his purpose and his plan. And that night, the king cannot sleep. He's tossing, he's turning, he just cannot get to sleep. And so he asks to have the chronicles read to him. And he's forgotten completely about what Mordecai had done, that he'd actually saved his life. As these chronicles are read out, the king is reminded. And Haman is nearby, so, so the king says to Haman, what, do you, what should be done for the man that the king wants to honor? Haman, of course, believes that this is about himself. Who could be greater than me, Haman, who's been raised to a high seat of honor. So Haman says to the king, for the man the king delights to honor, have them bring a royal robe the king has worn and a horse the king has ridden, one with a royal crest placed on its head. Then let the robe and the horse be entrusted to one of the king's most noble princes. Let them robe the man the king delights to honor and lead him on the horse through the city streets proclaiming before him, this is what is done for the man the king delights to honor. So here we have Haman who set up this pole to have Mordecai impaled. And then shortly afterwards, here we have Haman leading uh, Mordecai around the city streets, wearing a royal robe on one of the king's horses. So here we start to see God intervening, God turning things around. And in chapter 7, we see 
Queen Esther informs the king that it was Haman who persuades the king to set, to set the decree to have all of the Jews in Susa killed. So the king demands to have Haman impaled on the pole that he had set up for Mordecai. So now we get to the final, start, the final part of the story. Haman is dead, but a problem remains. The king cannot change the decree, the decree because it's now been written. It can't be undone. The Jews are going to be attacked. So how are they going to get around this? And now Esther is getting desperate. But God is in control, and God uses Esther as a mouthpiece to protect his people. So we're going to read some verses from Esther's, uh, Esther chapters 8 and 9. The verses will come up on the screen for you. We're, it's quite a, lot of, uh, a, quite a long passage, so I'm just going to pick out the key verses and uh, hopefully fill in the gaps so you can follow along. So starting at chapter 8 and verse 3. Esther again pleaded with the king, falling at his feet and weeping. She begged him to put an end to the evil plan of Haman the Agagite, which he had devised against the Jews. Verse 5. If it pleases the king, she said, and if he regards me with favor and thinks it is the right thing to do, and if he is pleased with me, let an order be written overruling the dispatches that Haman, son of that bloke, the Agagite, devised and wrote to destroy the Jews in all the king's provinces. In verse 6, For how can I bear to see disaster fall on my people? How can I bear to see the destruction of my family? So the king gives Haman's estate to Esther and has Haman impaled. And now the king agrees to have a decree written and sealed with his signet ring on behalf of the Jews. And so that's done, and it's, the decree is taken by mounted couriers riding on fast horses to all the Jews living in Susa. So we go down to verse 11. The king's edict granted the Jews in every city the right to assemble and protect themselves, to destroy kill and annihilate the armed men of any nationality or province who might attack them and their women and children, and to plunder the property of their enemies. Verse 13, a copy of the text of the edict was to be issued as law in every province and made known to the people of every nationality so that the Jews would be ready on that day to avenge themselves on their enemies. So the day comes, so there's a decree written, the Jews are going to be attacked. But now we've got this new decree that the Jews can defend themselves, that the Jews can fight back. And so we go to, to chapter 9, and it says this, On the 13th day of the 12th month, the month of Adar, the edict commanded by the king was to be carried out. On this day, the enemies of the Jews had hoped to overpower them. But listen to this. But now the tables were turned and the Jews got the upper hand over those who hated them. With God on their side, the tables were turned. And so the Jews assembled in their cities in all the provinces of King Xerxes to attack those determined to destroy them. No one could stand against them. 
because the people of all the other nationalities were afraid of them. The Jews struck down all of their enemies with the sword, killing and destroying them. And they did what they pleased to those who hated them. In the city, in the citadel of Susa, the Jews killed and destroyed 500 men. And next we see the 10 sons of Haman are also killed. And there's 500 people in the, 500 men in the citadel of Susa are killed. And the king gives Esther another petition, another request, and he says that it will be granted. So that Esther's in the king's presence again, and she says, if it pleases the king, Esther answered, give the Jews in Susa permission to carry out this day's edict tomorrow also, and let Haman's ten sons be impaled on poles. So the king grants Esther's request. In verse 15, it says, the Jews in Susa came together on the 14th day of the month of Adar, and they put to death in Susa 300 men, but they did not lay their hands on, their pl- on the plunder. Meanwhile, the remainder of the Jews who were in the king's provinces also assembled to protect themselves and get relief from their enemies. They killed 75,000 of them, but did not lay their hands on the plunder. This happened on the 13th day of the month of Adar, and on the 14th day they rested and made it a day of feasting and joy. The Jews in Susa, however, had assembled on the 13th and 14th, and then on the 15th they rested and made it a day of feasting and joy. And this is why rural Jews, those living in villages, observed the 14th of the month of Adar as a day of joy and feasting, a day for giving presents to each other. Who likes a happy ending to a story? The Jews celebrating their victory, 75,000 enemies defeated. And here we see God working behind the scenes to bring about his purpose. God finding a way to get his people out of this situation and to give them victory to defeat their enemies. So what can, we le- what can we learn this morning in 2020 in Pointer Baptist Church from this story? What can we learn about God? What can we learn about our purpose and our calling this morning? Well, the first thing that I want to say, and we draw from this passage, is this. God is in control. God is in control. In Esther's hands was placed her appointment as queen. And God used her influence of the king to order a decree that the Jews would be able to protect themselves. Esther becomes a mouthpiece for God's people. And God spoke through Esther to bring about his purpose and to bring about his protection for his people. In Mordecai's hands were placed this opportunity to save the king's life, which in turn saved his life and contributed to Esther having favor with the king. When things were at their darkest, God moved and God brought victory. When fear was strife, God moved and God brought victory. When death was on the horizon, God moved and turned sorrow into joy and mourning into celebration. And maybe there's been some dark days for you recently. Maybe there have been some challenges and some difficulties. 
but maybe you feel like you are slap bang in the middle of where God has called you to be. Maybe you feel you're right in God's will and plan for your life, but there's challenges and there's difficulties and there's dark days. And if you do, that doesn't mean you're in the wrong place. Challenges, hardships, and difficulties don't mean you're outside of God's will or outside of God's plan and purpose of where he wants you to be. I once said to a pastor a few years ago, I want to be willing to be used by God. I want to be willing to go wherever God sends me. I want to be willing to go and speak to whoever God wants to send me to, or if God wants to send me abroad to be a missionary or whatever, I want to be open. I want to be willing, but I don't know if I've got the faith. I don't know if I've got the courage. I mean, imagine, imagine if God said, Tim, I'm sending you to North Korea. And I was kind of expecting the pastor to respond with something like, Tim, it's very unlikely that God's going to call you to North Korea. But that's not what he said. What he said was this. He said, Tim, you'd be safer in North Korea in God's will than anywhere else in the world outside of God's will. You'd be safer in North Korea or in China or wherever God sends you to if you're in God's will than to be anywhere else in the world outside of God's will. To be a Christian means that we're no longer living for ourselves, but we're living for Christ. Last week, we saw five people get baptized make that public declaration of faith. And as they go into the water, it represents that sin and that shame and that guilt and that condemnation gets washed away in that water. And as they rise, they rise like Jesus rose from the dead and they rise into new life of freedom. And they rise into new life filled with God's Holy Spirit. And they're filled and they stand before God with Jesus' holiness and Jesus' righteousness. One of my favorite songs is called I Will Rise. It's a song by Hillsong. It's actually called Beneath the Waters, in brackets, I Will Rise. And I'm going to read some of the lyrics to you. I won't sing it. (laughs) That wouldn't be good for anyone. It goes like this. This is my revelation, Christ Jesus crucified. Salvation through repentance at the cross on which he died. Now, hear my absolution, forgiveness for my sin. And I sink beneath the waters that Christ was buried in. I will rise. I will rise as Christ was raised to life. And now in him, now in him, I live. I stand a new creation, baptized in blood and fire. No fear of condemnation. So we give our lives to Christ and we live free. No condemnation, no guilt, no fear of death because we know that Christ took all of our shame and our guilt and our sin and our wrongdoing and God nailed it through Jesus' hands and through Jesus' feet on the cross. And Jesus' resurrection means that we have the hope, means that we have the assurance that we will rise, that we will rise as Christ was raised to life. And so we can stand as new creations. And being in God's will and being in God's purpose and God's plan for your life doesn't mean that there aren't challenges and difficult days. In fact, there definitely will be. 
And sometimes it can feel like the darkness is closing in. For those Jews, the darkness was closing in. Sadness and mourning and death were closing in. But God was in control because God was on the throne. And guess what? God is still in control and God is still on the throne. And so we don't need to fear because when we're in God's will and in his purpose and in his calling, each day, each week, each month, each year, it means we're safe in God's hands. We're safe in the Father's arms. Paul writes in the New Testament to the Philippians, to live is Christ, to die is gain. To live is Christ, to die is gain. Paul knew that he could go and live a life of Christ, go and live out the purpose and the plan that God put on his life. Because what was the worst thing that they could do to him? What was the worst thing that could ever happen to him? They could kill him, and you get to go and be with his God and be with his Father. The worst thing they could do was kill him. In fact, they couldn't even kill him. All they could do was kill his flesh, and you go and be with his eternal heavenly Father. The Jews in Susa had their lives threatened. Mordecai had his life threatened. But God intervened and God made a way because he was in control. So when God puts a purpose and a calling into our hands, we can trust and know that he's working behind the scenes, that God wants us to just walk with him and he goes with us. And he goes before us. And we know that God is completely trustworthy. God did not let his people down in Susa. And God will not let us down today. God does not let us down. God never gets tired or forgetful. God never has an off day or gets a bit clumsy. God says, walk with me. Walk with me. And when it gets tough and it gets dark and it gets challenging... Do you trust me? Do you trust me? I'm in control. What is your response? The second thing that I believe God wants us to draw from this passage this morning is that God is on your side. You know, the story of Esther isn't really about Esther or Mordecai or the king or Haman, but it's about the character not mentioned. It's about God it's about the God of Israel. Our God is awesome. He's loving and kind and gentle. Yet at the same time, he's strong and powerful and majestic. And our God fights for his people and our God wins. Our God never loses. Have you ever heard of the satnav analogy? If, you, if you're rubbish with directions like me, then you have to use your sat-nav quite a lot to help you find Hazel Grove or wherever you're going. <laughs> but when you go on a long journey, if you're going to Scotland or down to London or over to Wales, wherever you go, you put your end destination in and your sat-nav finds you the quickest, easiest, best route to get you there. But sometimes you lose a bit of concentration and you take a wrong turn or you get stuck in the wrong lane on the roundabout and end up going off where you didn't want to go. Or like me this week, you got stuck at a roadworks and a closed road and you had to find the long way around. And does the sat-nav just say to you, sorry, mate, you've gone the wrong way. Good luck for the rest of your journey. <laughs> no, it just reroutes. It finds you the next best, quickest 
route to your end destination. And that's what it's like here for the Jews. They've gone the wrong way. They've rebelled against God. They've worshipped idols. And because of that, they're not where they should be. They're not in their land. They've gone into exile. The Jews are not where they should be physically because they weren't where they should be spiritually. But it's almost like God just can't help himself. He just loves his people so much. He just wants to intervene and protect them and fight for them and look after them because he loves them. And so God uses Esther as a mouthpiece. She's used by God to save his people from death. Esther, for a lot of the story so far, has really been a bit of a passenger. She's reactive. She's following the instructions of her cousin, Mordecai. But now Esther becomes proactive, and she wants to fight. And she gets the Jews to pray and fast. And she goes into the king's presence to ask him, to plead with him for a new decree that, he would, that, that God's people would be saved and protected. Esther's a woman. She's a Jew living in a foreign land. But God was on her side. Maybe it's time for us to become more proactive in our calling and our purpose. Maybe some of us have been making some excuses. But the Bible is full of God using unlikely people to do unlikely things. So what has God placed in your hands? What has God called you to do? We've been singing a new song uh, the past few months, and we're going to sing it later in the service. It's called Reckless Love, which Ashley mentioned at her baptism last week. And it's not a song saying that we have a God who's reckless, but it is saying that we have a God who loves in almost like a reckless way, a God who would leave 99 sheep to go after the one. A reckless love like the father of the prodigal son, where the son says, you're dead to me. Give me my inheritance. I don't want to be with you anymore. I'm going to go live my own life. I want to go and use my inheritance and spend it. I want to do what I want. But it's that father that when the prodigal son comes home, says, son, you're so welcome. Welcome home. Let me put a ring on your finger. Let me put sandals on your feet. Let me put a robe around you. Let me get all our neighbors to come and have a party because you have come home. That is an awesome, loving father. And God is on our side because he is our awesome, loving father. And your circumstances might say something else, but God's word says that he is on your side. And your friends and your family might say something else, but God says that he is on your side. And your work colleagues might say something else, but God's word says that he will not let you down and that he is on your side. So what has God called you to do? What has God placed in your hands? We can go and do it because God is on our side. If Esther hadn't fulfilled her calling in that moment and she hadn't found some courage, the Jews would have all been killed. So God, is on, so God is in control, and God is on our side. And thirdly and finally, it's all about God's glory. It's all about God's glory. And this is both humbling 
and encouraging. This is encouraging for the sinner because we know that despite our mistakes and despite our rebellion and despite the wrong things that we've done, God can and will still use us. Our calling, our destiny is to walk with God every day and to be his hands and to be his feet and to be his voice where he calls us to go. Whether that's in your office at work or down at the sports club or in the retirement center or at the coffee morning, whether it's out on the streets or when you're doing your shopping in Waitrose, God, what is your plan? What is your purpose for me today? Maybe it'll be to make someone a coffee or to encourage someone or maybe it's to go and be an awesome mom or dad or be an awesome gran or granddad. Maybe it's to do your work diligently or to avoid gossip, or to sing songs of praise to our God. For a lot of us, it's getting up every morning and going to our places of work and being a witness for Jesus on our front lines. Esther and Mordecai weren't particularly great examples of godly righteousness. They broke commandments from the Torah, like marrying Gentiles and eating impure foods. The Jews weren't particularly great examples of godly righteousness. They bowed down to idols and didn't honor God in the way that he required them to do. But God still used them to bring about his purpose because God loves to take broken, messy, sinful people and he loves to dust them down and baptize them and set them free and fill them with his Holy Spirit and then send them out to fulfill the purpose and calling that he's put on their life. And on the flip side, this is humbling for the righteous. As that father welcomed home the prodigal son, how did the faithful son respond? He became jealous. Where's my party? I've been faithful. I've worked hard. I've not run away and lived a life of sin and bad decisions. But it's all about God's glory. And every single sinner who repents brings glory to God as they give their life to him to worship him and serve him and walk with him because it's all about God's glory. So for everything that we get right, every good work we do, every song of praise that we sing, every pleasing decision we make, it's not to honor ourselves, but to honor God. It's not to glorify ourselves, but to glorify God. Esther's story is a significant one. And the Jews celebrated it with a feast. Esther, despite being a woman in a male-dominated time, despite being a Jew in a foreign land, despite being a sinner who's broken God's law, was still used by God because God wanted to use her as his mouthpiece. God wanted to fulfill his purposes through her life. So I believe what we've drawn from Esther's story today, if the band want to start making their way back up, is that Esther's destiny was to walk with her God. God placed Esther into a position of influence. Esther's purpose and Esther's calling was to be a mouthpiece for God, to influence the king. And through this, God brought about his protection and victory for his people. This is Esther's legacy. And this book, despite 
not even having uh, God mentioned in it, makes it into our Bibles that we have today, Esther's story, Esther's legacy. I believe what God might want to say to us this morning is this. Your destiny is to be brought into God's kingdom. Your destiny is to be a sinner made righteous by Jesus, to have the sin and the shame and the guilt and the condemnation washed away. And your destiny is to be a son and a daughter of God. And your destiny is to love God and to walk with him. And your purpose and your calling as you walk with him is different for each one of us in the places that God calls us to. But ultimately, it's to be the hands, the feet, and the voice of Jesus, sharing that good news, sharing God's love wherever he's placed us. To look at what God's put in your hands and to offer it back to him as a sacrifice to give him all of the glory. And we don't need to fear because God is with us and God is on our side and God is in control. And you're not doing it for you. You're doing it for God. So step into your purpose and step into your calling and we can go and do some awesome things for God. And that will be your legacy. Thanks for listening to this week's talk. Join us next week for another inspirational message.